getting so cold I ain't wait this hard since I was 18 Apologize if I say Anything I don't mean Like what's up with your best friend We get out, have some fun, believe me And what's up with these new niggas And why they think it all comes so easy Forget it, why you here, boy? Cause all that hype don't feel the same next year, boy Yeah, and I'll be right here in my spot With a little more cash than I already got Tripping off you cause you had your shot With my skin tan and my hair long With my fans who've been so patient Me and 40 back to work But we still smell like a vacation Hate the rumors, hate the bullshit Hate these fucking allegations I'm just feeling like the throne is for the taking Watch me take All it. I care about is money in the city that I'm from I'ma sip until I feel it, I'ma smoke it till it's done I don't really give a fuck and my excuses that I'm young And I'm only getting older, somebody should've told you I'm on one, yeah, fuck it, I'm on one Yeah, I said I'm on one, fuck it, I'm on one Two white cups that I got that drink Could be purple or could be pink Depending on how you mix that shit Money to be gotten, I'ma get that shit Cause I'm on one I said fuck it, I'm on Hello everyone and welcome to season 3 episode 4 of the Two Red Gringos I'm your host Phil Bakke and joined as always from the southwest by Patrick Staley. Hello, hello. So, uh, Santa Fe this time around. Uh, you're you're roaming the Southwest again. Really is again or perpetually, I think, is the better word for it. But uh, beautiful this time of year. So beautiful, in fact, that hotels that normally cost about a hundred, hundred twenty dollars a night are over $300 a night now too so it's peak season up here in Santa Fe which is why I am on the outskirts of Santa Fe staying at a Homewood Suites so shout out shout out to Hilton okay Um, so we've got we've got the the Santa Fe Homewood Suites we've got um, (laughs) I'm out here out here in the central the central Texas um, heat as well Uh, we got we're still we're still muggy out here, 80s, like mid 80s and muggy. So it is not beautiful. Oh, yeah. It is not beautiful this time of year. Um, I mean, it, it, it was lovely aside from the horrific hailstorm that I drove through. Luckily, it didn't damage the car, but that was that is good. It's a positive. On a scale of one to terrifying, I was I was slightly horrified. <laughs> I don't know how that scale works exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll say a six. So, in order to calm yourself down, now that you've finished your drive, um, we start every show with Pick Your Poison. Have you been able to to acquire some poison out there in Santa Fe? Uh, of course. I already, thanks to Homewood Suites' generosity, they provided free Bud Light with, uh, with, with their small plated dinner. So that was the first one. That's nice. And I rated, I rated the marketplace that they have here. So my selections were Michelob Ultra. Your favorite. Bud Light Platinum. <laughs> Bud Light Platinum, the second one. Um, I believe it was Miller Light 
Bud Light, and Stella. So I went with the Stella Artois. Okay. The Belgian brewing experience. <laughs> oh no, expertise. It says. Um, so that's what I'm rocking tonight. Okay. So Trace Stella. Keeping it, keeping it classy. Um, I, I mean, uh, always. I'm gonna post a, a picture of it on Twitter too, just so everybody can admire and revel in the deliciousness. <laughs> I, uh, I have broken from the normal, from the normal, uh, somewhat. Um, broken from my normal uh, weekly IPA, um, so I've got a uh, I've got a revolver um, brewing company, which is again here here in Texas, um, keeping it local. Yeah, a Blood and Honey, which is uh, you know wheat, oh. wheat style beer. You may have seen it around. Pretty good distribution, so it's uh, okay. that's a local favorite out here. And then. Uh, my my second one in the chamber I've got is a Carboctoberfest, um, which I appreciate for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is the fact that it combines the name of the brewery with Toberfest, and also because there's a nice little Bach um, right there in the middle. So I appreciate it as, you know, Bachy. <laughs> so the full, the name of the beer is the Carboctoberfest Car- is one? Carboctoberfest, yeah. Well, well played, well played. So I, I enjoy that. Um, so yeah, keeping it, uh, keeping it in Texas, but, uh, but not quite to the the level of hipster that has come to be expected of me in recent <laughs> in recent weeks. I mean, some, sometimes you just gotta go. You know, taking it easy for me is the the Michelob Ultra and the Stellas when right. <laughs> I'm traveling. Sometimes you gotta take it down a notch, right? Right. What was the uh, what was that you said? You, Sometimes you just need a, a, a crave experience in El Paso. Right. So you just you get to explore a little bit, but you got to go back to what's good. Exactly. And uh, so, um, speaking of, in in recent weeks, uh, the both both of us have have done quite a bit of traveling. Um, and you actually celebrated a birthday um, on your travels oh, yeah. in recent weeks, which we didn't we didn't get to celebrate. So, um, everybody. Go wish, go wish at El Paso Reds slash at Mr. Staley a happy birthday. <laughs> Belated, of course. Um, raise your raise your hipster glasses. Yeah. So you uh, you enjoyed a nice trip out to the uh, out to the Big Apple. It was great. We got to hit all all of our favorite spots out there. Um, but as you know, I I lost a phone, and it happened that it was. <laughs> We were consuming another type of poison that night, and they were the Vesper Martinis from uh, Bemelman's, you know a little cocktail lounge you, and jazz place. You know better than that. On the Upper East Side. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, I think I had been on a pretty good run, too. Aside from shattering two out of the three phones I've had, I didn't lose any. Um, right. But after, I think it was, you know, a couple bottles of wine and, and three gin martinis, I... Uh, I was a little bit less apt to uh, keep track of my phone, and it was sped off in the back of a taxi cab that I never saw it again, too. But uh, at least the martinis were good. <laughs> um, I will say that I, your New York City experiences are a different, kind of a different level of classy than, than I would say most, <laughs> most are. We try to pretend whenever we're there. <laughs> Get out of the desert for a couple of days, put a suit on, and pretend like you mean something right um 
So in the in the meantime, I took it wasn't quite so classy of a trip. It was a nice little trip though. I took a little two hour jaunt down to uh, down to San Antonio. Um, Town zone. Yeah, uh, me and me and the wife had never been. So nice little. Uh, I can't believe you'd never been to San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, um, you know, when you, I, I drove through it once. Um, on my journey across the the south to get to El Paso, my initial <laughs> my initial move out to El Paso, and that was the last I saw of it for uh, about three and a half years. So um, finally made it back. <laughs> actually got to uh, see the sights this time, and uh, I gotta say, it, it's a fantastic little city. And uh, oh, I love it. For those who for those who don't know, um, in a in a previous life. Um, one of the red gringos actually called San Antonio home for a short period of time. We were for a few months. Yeah. I mean, broke, broke as fuck, though. So we, <laughs> we did not get to experience <laughs> much of the things that you got to experience on this trip out there. Right. Uh, but go, I always love going back, too, just because there's so many cool places. Good. I'm not going to say necessarily good food scene, but definitely a good drink scene. Yeah. In San Antonio. Yeah. The drink, the drinks definitely outshine the food, and and it's not, it's nothing against the food necessarily. It's just their oh, no, their no, drink yeah. scene is is on point. Um, oh yeah, a lot of hidden bars in San Antonio. I don't know if that's on purpose. So which or... which ones did you find? So we found one called the Last Word. Uh, we found yes. one. We found another one. Well. We didn't find it. You told me about it on accident. Uh, not on accident. I thought you were uh, <laughs> making a reference to New York City. Um, but uh, the Brooklynite, I think, yeah, was that solid. One? So, And then uh, we found another one that was, uh, like, on the fourth floor of an office building. It was called... Um, crap, I can't even remember what that one was called. But you, like, Ooh, had to get past, like, an armed security guard and take an elevator up. Um and then you were just randomly in this rooftop bar. Um, it was very... Oh, shit. I didn't know about that one. I'll, I'll have to look up the name after, and I'll, I'll put it in the notes of the show just in case anyone uh, <laughs> really has a, has a inkling. Now, the, the thing that really disappointed me about my trip to San Antonio was the fact that it was not an LFC match day um, oh. because, uh, obviously... Big shout out to LFC San Antonio. Those guys uh, interact with us quite a bit um, Great group. on Twitter, and um, yeah, just a really, really good group, really engaged. And uh, I was very disappointed to uh, not be able to to catch a match with those guys. So that's a yeah. that's a goal um, of mine is to get back down to San Antonio and actually actually take in a match um, with those guys. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if they still go up north or if they're at the the Lion and the Rose. That's actually one of my favorite, real, real traditional English pub there. Uh, but great place to catch a game too. I'm not sure if the LS, the LSE always goes there, but uh, I think they had another spot. Either way, though, solid place, solid group. Yeah, and uh, so definitely rectify that in the future. Um, I can't. So two two parts about your trip. Yeah to San Antonio that I'm a little embarrassed about. Okay. One, in the notes, I was giving you grief for the Maroon 5 concert that you went to. Yeah. 
Um, but when, in fact, I'm, I'm actually a closet Maroon 5 Adam Levine fan. So uh, I'm going to put that out in the open on this episode. Well, but even more embarrassing okay. was the level of jealousy that I had. Because while you were in San Antonio, my brother texts me asking me what are places to visit uh, in San Antonio. And my my kind of radar goes off, and I'm thinking, did Phil ask Dan for recommendations in San Antonio, not me? So then I think I started texting you, and I, I don't know. I, I was my jealousy kind of kind of came out at that moment. I thought I was getting thought I was getting replaced again. Um, but uh, yeah. you know, I got to get over it. Uh, yeah, I I did not um, invite. Although he's in the past been been a brilliant guest on the show as well as a uh, fantastic co-commentator of the of the Champions League final, um, I did not uh, invite Dan to San Antonio, um, despite your your fears. <laughs> it just just the stars kind of aligned for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of his was actually going there at the same time. So. Right, and that, but that no, was a strange sorry. coincidence. Yeah, so we did see Maroon 5. Um, that was actually, like, kind of the impetus for the trip because my wife is a, a ridiculously huge Maroon 5 fan. Um, she has been to – she's seen them, like, ten times. She's, she's, a, she's a super fan for sure. Um, there you go. But uh, it was, you know, it was nice to make a little trip out of it. And honestly, very, uh, it was a very enjoyable show. Um, and I also have to say, uh, the AT and T Center, uh, where they had the the concert, and where the the Spurs, not not Tottenham, but San Antonio, um, <laughs> yeah, they uh, they have a a pretty fantastic arena down there. Um, AT and T Center was was really was really great um so yeah i i mean it's out there i enjoyed a maroon 5 concert and uh i'm not i'm not ashamed of that i'm fine with that (laughs) take off wow what a performance (laughs) the pageantry the costumes (laughs) totally undersold it Uh, but i guess it's lucky that we were i would have liked to hit up carragers or any of the other Liverpool support groups that are, are littered across New York. Sure. Just as I'm sure you would have enjoyed hitting it up with the uh, the San Antonio group. But it was, what was it, the international break while we were out and about? It was, um, which was, it, it always seems to, I think it coincides with Labor Day weekend. I don't know if that's on purpose, uh, but... So it, it's kind of a it's kind of a sad situation because most people have a long weekend and there's no uh, there's no good football to enjoy, um, despite all the days off. Um, but yeah, so uh, so some nice little some nice little vacation time in there for the uh, for the Gringos. Well deserved too. Um, but I was it was unfortunate that I also missed the Leicester match for different reasons altogether. And I have actually, in true gringo fashion, signed up for a um, Spanish language course from the wow. El Paso Community College <laughs> the focus on business. So that's fantastic. Trying to up my game a little bit here, you know. Trying to Just quit looking quit looking like so much of a gringo as I'm out and about in the city. Trying to diversify a little bit. But I was upset. I figured we get out early. We didn't. So I was I was 
following all along on Twitter as best I could, and then right. I had to watch the uh, watch the recording later on. Right. I uh, so before we dive into the the review of of the the match against Leicester, um, I was able to uh, I was lucky enough to to take that game in at uh, Bull McCabe's Irish Pub in uh, oh. in Austin, oh. um, which is one of the one of the Liverpool bars. It's actually owned um, by an uh, an Irish. Um, uh, LFC fan who um, oh that's just too good to be true yeah it's just a it's it's your classic you know Irish kind of you know it, it toes the line between between pub and dive bar um, but it's a uh, it's a it's a great atmosphere when you get everyone in there and uh, oh yeah you know it's nice and nice and confined so it really uh, amps up the noise level and uh, yeah it was a it was a lot of fun obviously I've been lucky enough to to see two four goal performances with the guys from uh, guys and girls from Ooh. LFC Austin. So I'm hoping there's a few more of those uh, in the pipeline <laughs> uh, for the rest of the season. Cause it obviously makes things very enjoyable. Um, and, uh, and speaking of enjoyable, just leading straight into our look at this performance against Lester is uh, Jordan Henderson. Um, Captain Jordan Henderson, YouTube star, <laughs> after the first couple of matches. Um, and I know this this was a particular sore spot for you uh, throughout the first few matches, um, and it really everything kind of came uh, to a head uh, with this Leicester match as uh, Jordan Henderson absolutely bossed the midfield. There's no there's no denying it. He had a fantastic performance. Uh, his passing range was fantastic throughout, and uh, he actually a lot of his forward passing created uh, created those opportunities for Liverpool. So, how sweet was it for for the captain to kind of <laughs> kind of prove your uh, your bile towards those people who did, who kind of slagged him off in these in those early games? Yeah, and it, I mean his his performances were. They weren't that bad, but I had just never seen anybody take the time to make a compilation video of all the things that somebody has done wrong. No. YouTube's a place where you go to put the highlights, the the pointless clips and all that. But Liverpool fans actually taking the time. Like, I, Pogba's getting a lot of stick right now yeah. for his performances recently, but it's just in tweets. Like, I, I still haven't necessarily seen the the full clip. The, so, but, the Paul Pogba I mean, it, it, fuck up <laughs> compilation. Yeah. We've had we've had two games with Henderson compilations in it too, so I was I was jacked to see that because he's starting to get back to the player he was before he got injured. Yeah, um, and with so much of it is confidence too. I mean, he I don't think it was necessarily the injuries to blame at the start of the season, but you got to get back into the swing of things. You got to actually be confident, but you got to also link up with your teammates as well. Um, and against Leicester, he had as good of a performance in a midfield role. As we as we've seen this year so far too. Yeah, and I I think you know the the big highlight play um, that you can point to in this in this match was that that first time ball over the top uh, to to oh. find Danny Sturridge uh, who who then produced uh, you know obviously the the backheeled pass to Mane was was sublime but but it all started with a little layoff from Firmino to to Henderson and. 
Um, he just provides that nice touch on that ball over the top. And uh, and as we as we kind of look, you know, beyond even uh, that, um, beyond that goal, um, we have you know, kind of looking across even all these performances where he's been kind of, he's not been rated uh, to the level that, that he was in the past and the level that, that earned him uh, the captaincy. We look even across these first four Premier League matches, um, he's completed 89% of his passes. Yeah. Um, and while he's only, he's only created five chances, you, you also have to remember that he's, you know, he's, playing with all of the all of the real creators in front of him um so yeah. he's he's merely you know dictating the play from from deeper um and it's really that that passing accuracy um that's been uh so good uh in this early stage of the season and it hasn't it was something that people attacked uh right off the bat but He's kind of proving proving everyone wrong um, as he uh, as he progresses through the season, and not just the fact that his accuracy is what just under ninety percent. Yeah, for all four, he leads the he leads the Premier League in total passes as well. Right. So Hendo's sitting at three hundred and twenty over a four game span, which is incredible for the Premier League, right? If he's playing these matches in Spain, he's racking up well over a hundred a match. Right. Um, but the second is Fernandinho. So the, the central holding midfielder in a Pep Guardiola side, Jordan Henderson has more than 40 passes above Fernandinho as well. And I was looking at that, and I kind of got worried that Pep might be looking at these stats and thinking, you know, holy shit, I better poach Jordan Henderson from Liverpool oh, to put him in my side. And I think two games <laughs> two games ago, I think we, we would have been burned at the stake for suggesting that Pep Guardiola might want Jordan Henderson in the side. But if you just think about not just the ability to provide that centralized role, um, but the, the range of passing as well right. has really been incredible. And I think that was that was really shown in the Leicester performance by Henderson, but also by by Milner, even Lucas in that, that center-back role. The the range of passing was something that allowed us to, to work within more space as opposed to, like, the Burnley match where we were too, just too compact against, you know, the, their banks of four. Uh, but Henderson really kind of led the way and, and linked everything up, creating goals, and even if he's not getting the, the out-and-out assist, he's definitely racking up the hockey assist. Oh, absolutely. And that's, uh, yeah, so far 88.8% uh, passing passing accuracy, and he's averaging uh, a key pass every game, um, which uh, from that position that, you know, when you're creating an opportunity uh, from deep, that's, that's what you're looking for. Um, and mm-hmm. I think... The one thing that held people back from truly turning their uh, their opinion of Henderson and it during this season around um, was was the finish on the on the one opportunity, which <laughs> I was gonna say yeah in, that's the that's the ultimate Hendo moment it, it, from a year or two ago it was and it's uh, it's something that I think he hasn't popped up in a position like that for quite a while um, yeah that's true 
and it was something that we kind of thought he had turned around, uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of years ago. Um, but his, uh, I think, you know, his composure in that moment uh, kind of went because it's not often that you find that amount of space uh, in the box against Leicester of all teams, uh, you know, who are <laughs> yeah, known exactly. for their who are known for their defensive staunchness uh, and their kind of suffocating um, defending. Uh, for him to pop up in the box and have that amount of time, I think. I think he he almost thought you know he couldn't believe his luck um, and he shit the bed a little and bit. He on did, that one. It, but but it doesn't. the The thing is, is a a moment like that doesn't take away from the rest of the performance, especially uh, when that his you know quote on quote unquote hockey assists that you know that second assist um, created so much for the team. Um, yeah, and I think so. I, I don't think you can take away. From Hendo, so Hendo is he. I think he gets our our fuck the haters moment of the week. Um, oh yeah, he's definitely he's definitely fucking haters. Yeah, well, all just the way up to the Chelsea match. Left and right. Um, <laughs> which kind of, I, I will say about it though too that it's perfect timing, going into the role that we need him to play against Chelsea. Yes, and I think a lot of pundits and all that have been saying or even Klopp came out and said, uh, like, Joel Matip can't do it on his own. Mm-hmm. He needs some protection back there. So I think that's going to give Henderson kind of the ego boost. Um, but he's still playing with a chip on his shoulder, I yeah. think. And that's the perfect type of attitude you want going up against Diego Costa right. as well. Uh, so I think it's perfect timing for Henderson to hit to hit that form in terms of uh, guiding our midfield. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking for some more moments in this in this Chelsea match of, of... – Hendo bodying Diego Costa, <laughs> getting in his face. I'm looking. I'm looking forward. Staring him down. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but uh, so normally when we talk about fuck the haters, we're talking about you know general LFC Twitter. Um, we're not you know just the general vibe um, that we're getting, and especially with those compilations for Henderson. Um, yeah. Yeah. We we really got that hater vibe, but. We don't normally turn it back on ourselves, and I particularly don't necessarily turn it back on myself. Um, but uh, so the early the early season is is starting to show um, a different side and a, and perhaps a a turning of the corner by one uh, player that I have not I've not exactly rated uh, over the last. Um, <laughs> season and change and uh that's that's adam Lallana who uh put an exclamation point on what was already a, a good performance with a absolutely thunderous oh, strike thumping. <laughs> thumping into the into the top left corner past michael um i mean i couldn't i couldn't help but but be impressed obviously by that but but also the the just the play of Lalana um in in that position that he's being employed in um yeah. this season i i thought in watching the arsenal game i thought all right this is this is kind of a stopgap Lalana's not not really going to be able to play this position he's getting caught in possession mm-hmm. he's um he looks like a little lost 
you know, he gets involved in the attack, obviously, because that's what he's used to. But, um, again, you know, he... I always think that he shits the bed uh, in the box. <laughs> and something that he's stopped... And rightfully so. And, rightfully so in the past. And something that he's he's kind of stopped doing is shitting the bed so much. Um, and, he's, and he's been good at... He's, he's growing up. Yeah, and he's been good at, at finishing the chances that he gets, and then he's been good at at keeping chances alive for other players. And I've been, I've been super yeah. harsh on him in the past, but I'm willing to, obviously in this case, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong um, as he, you know, he's producing for the team. So it's been, it's been good to see young, young Adam uh, turning a corner and, and perhaps finally starting to justify that, that 25 million pound price tag that, uh, that Brendan uh, ever so willingly paid. <laughs> Um, shelled out to Southampton. Yeah, uh, not just I, not just turning the corner, but perhaps Cruyff turning <laughs> the corner for Adam Lallana there. I so I will say that I don't know if I don't know if Klopp talked to him or or what what exactly <laughs> happened, but he he hasn't in the in the last couple of matches he has not done it as regularly as as he normally does and he saved it there's been less of it he yeah. saved it for moments where it's appropriate um but i think and maybe Klopp needs to have that same talk with Coutinho yes yeah oh, yeah maybe that's something we can yeah maybe we can talk <laughs> about that too uh we might need to add that into the into the outline cuz it is, uh, that's yeah we could look at our we can look at our Chelsea preview and, and see where Coutinho might fit in sure. there. Maybe we can talk about him with uh, with the that first topic as well. We can just kind of add him into that to that discussion. Um, Work it in. But no, so so Adam Olana, I I think I think what was refreshing about um, especially about the the goal is it's not often that you see Adam Olana put his laces through the ball. Um, yeah, and. So often when he gets a chance in the box, he, he tries, you know, one too many touches or tries something, you know, one degree too clever that he doesn't quite pull off. Um, and it gets frustrating because it ends in attack or you think uh, he should have just had a shot or he had an open man. Um, and so I don't know if it's if it's Klopp or... Or who's having the the conversation, but it just seems like he's kind of he's kind of taking some of the and and not to his detriment a little bit of the uh, finesse out of his game, and he's and he's playing more like an edge of the box um, kind of player whose job yeah. is to to keep momentum moving forward, and and when presented the opportunity, uh, you know, you try to score from you know, medium range, uh, edge of the box or, you know, just inside. Um, and, and it's proved, it's proved really, uh, really effective. And he's, he's also, uh, making really good decisions about when to make those runs out of midfield, uh, you know, which is how he scored the goal against Arsenal. Um, and just picking his opportunities to get forward. I think, I think it's been, it's been a, 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 a transformation because um, I so often uh, found myself, you know, screaming at the TV, uh, uh, <laughs> why are you doing what you're doing? Um, all the decisions you make are bad. Um, 
but he's his decision making. I don't know if he's just simplified it or if he or if he's kind of rethinking mm-hmm. how he plays. But um, yeah, I mean, especially against Leicester, he was he was fantastic. I think for Leicester, he also had the same holds true for everybody. He had a little bit more space, uh, but he actually linked up with uh, Wijnaldum a little bit better than he had. Uh, especially against like Burnley or previous matches as well. So, first match against Arsenal, I think he was you know well below par and losing possession. And it was almost the problem was he was almost maybe too deep, right? Um, and that's just where kind of he was receiving the ball at times. And I think Henderson did a good, a, a much better job of occupying that space. Went Aldum a little bit ahead of him, but to the left. Uh, and Alana really took on a more kind of advanced, really centralized role, right. uh, but did a good job just linking linking up play. Uh, and he took his chance whenever it was actually presented to him in the box as well. So good good work between him and, and, and kind of his other partners. But I also think the the movement and, and the quality of Mane is going to pay off for Lallana as well. Because Lallana's not a winger. No. And he's not he's not necessarily an eight either. And I think we're starting to see him in more, more of kind of like a ten, not not the true playmaker, but just kind of that centralized kind of midfield role. Out of a midfield three, he's the he's the more advanced one. Right. Uh, and it's it, it versus Leicester, it worked really well too. But uh, credit to Mane uh, as well, just because it, when he when he's in the squad, I think that was the biggest difference between the Leicester performance, um, obviously the Arsenal performance, and and the Burnley performance as well, just because. It's it's almost like another player, another attacker right there that allows, I think, Sturridge to say a little bit more advanced, a little bit more centralized. Um, and you almost create, a, rather than just a front three, kind of like this, or, or a front three with, with Klein and Milner supporting as well. Right. And... Uh... Mane obviously and and rightly so has gotten has gotten so many plaudits in this early season. Yeah. Um, I mean he he provides when you think about I would I would venture to say when you think about the Liverpool performances you know bar bar thirteen fourteen but when you think about Liverpool performances going back to even two thousand ten um, over the past you know five six years. These these performances have always there's been these these matches where like the Burnley game this year where you think we're just missing something yeah and you can't quite put your finger on it you're not sure what it is um, that would unlock you know a stubborn uh, kind of lower lower tier uh, defense you're not sure you know what is it that will give us the key to these. Um, to to kind of unlock this defense, and uh, I think I think we've all kind of realized, and I think everyone's kind of realizing it at once, that it, it it's been a player like Sadio Mane who has yeah. the ability, and everyone everyone focuses um, on the pace, and obviously the pace injected into the side is is great, but like English, it, and English pundits especially, they're obsessed with pace. <laughs> it's all they talk about. And obviously it pays to be fast. There's no, you know, there's no denying that like being fast provides you with an advantage. Um but we always everyone, you know, jokes that you know, uh Aaron Lennon uh was fast for, you know, his whole 
life and <laughs> that's all he ever was you know he, he he didn't it didn't turn into a whole lot of production so when you look at Mane and you look at his kind of skill um, and his ability to bring other people into the play and then also his ability to spot runs and get involved in attacks um, as they materialize. I think that's really where he just pops up at the right place at the right time. And yeah. uh, and I think the player, uh, another player who's benefiting big time um, from Mane's involvement is uh, a player that obviously we've talked about very positively since he joined, um, and that's uh, Roberto Firmino, um, who hasn't necessarily gotten the same plaudits, uh, despite being despite <laughs> being our Lana top, or Mane. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and despite being our despite being our top scorer um, in the league last season, uh, or in all competition, I think in all competitions yeah. he scored he scored the most. Um, and so Roberto Firmino, um, you know, while while Lalana was was good, uh, and I, I would I would venture to say very good against Leicester, um, I I think <laughs> it sounded like a stretch for you to admit that. It sounded like a, there was a physical pain in your voice. Uh, it's not <laughs> whenever you had to admit that. Not as hard as not as hard as I as it would have been a couple weeks ago, um, but. For my money, Firmino in this game was was even better, um, and I don't know I don't know if you if you agree with that or not, but I uh, I think Bobby in this in this match was was brilliant. I think what they provide and what we saw what made me so happy against Leicester is that we had a front we had a front three. And there's there's a lot between three two or what yeah four two three one, and four three three. Right. And, and I I don't know I just like the four, the way that the four three three has been shaping up. Yeah. It worked well against Arsenal. We we ran into some problems uh, at Burnley to the point where I advocated for a back three. Um, <laughs> that didn't really that didn't really take <laughs> off. So I gotta I gotta eat crow for that one, but. <laughs> I, with Mane right there, it he's linking up really well with Sturridge, and I, I I think what that has done is open up a little bit more space for Firmino, where Sturridge can can kind of drift out right and and link up with Mane, which they did very well, um, and then Firmino can kind of drift in too. And so what I saw, and I talked a little bit about it on Twitter, was even though if you look at like we'll talk about passing stats or XG and all that. Right. Later on, you don't see a lot of link up between Sturridge, but if you have kind of two that are more forward, and I think Firmino and Sturridge definitely formed kind of an interactive partnership there. Mane was definitely another part, but it's also just the movement that they have. So if you think back to Suarez and Sturridge, and right. I said that's the best performance from from two strikers that we've seen. Sturridge didn't even score, um, but just the way that they they all kind of mesh together in terms of their movement. And the fact that Sturridge on a number of occasions just vacating space to allow Mane or Firmino to move in, uh, that's that's what I loved about it, is that we saw just the formation and, and, and the interaction between our forwards really take shape. Uh, and it definitely Firmino in a more kind of role that shifted him to the left. And we, we always hated the fact or the thought of Firmino playing on the wing 
but he's been so I, I picture the <laughs> the flashback was it not Sevilla but the game before that uh, where he Villarreal. yeah Villarreal where he's just slaughtering people on that left wing yeah. and Mane is definitely providing the support on the right side right um, but just Firmino and Firmino's role I think went a little bit undervalued by most versus Leicester uh, and it's it's probably the most encouraging performance I've seen out of him so far just because not only did he take his chances but he linked up well and he partnered well with with Sturridge and I think that's what we had always hoped for to come in be an advanced striker but also play a little bit out wide if we needed him to right and and I think I think when what was really encouraging and and what we what we've kind of wanted out of the the Surge Firmino partnership doesn't necessarily even come from them uh finding each other uh mm-hmm. because the first goal um in the in the match was was actually Milner who came down the left and yeah. Sturridge made a run inside uh and Firmino was able to drift into that space that that was vacated as as Sturridge dragged West Morgan across and uh yeah. And and Firmino obviously you know he receives the ball in an advanced area and and there's now we have a couple players on the field who if they receive the ball in that position you you back them to score um, uh, from yeah. there which I I don't know if that was necessarily the case uh, over the last few years um, if it wasn't you know if it wasn't Sturridge. Mm-hmm. Then, then who was it? You know, kind of, that was that was kind of the question. So, um, so in this case, we have you know, Firmino receives the ball on the edge of the area, and obviously, the I thought the goal was really well taken, and that leads me back to Firmino. I think he shows a lot of composure, and and I think it's something that I don't know. The dude is weird. Like, there's no there's no <laughs> denying Roberto Firmino is. Are you talking about the man bun? He's nuts. Yeah. Okay. So. The man, the bun, Snapchat attire. The man bun, the the how he dresses, the um, his celebrations. So like the first one, I know he has a tattoo, and that's why he does the like the half yellow card celebration of shirt up yeah. to show the tattoo, <laughs> and then and then I I don't know what it says or anything, but you know he he does that, and then and then he kind of goes off and and punches the air for the second goal. I don't know what the hell he was doing. He 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 does like a kind of a like he's running off like he's got this weird arm movement. He's looking to both sides and then he he just randomly starts doing the the James Milner lasso from last year. I don't know if you remember that one. Um the uh he starts kind of starts kind of like like hopping and like swinging his arm. Like he's last one, and the, I don't know what the fuck is goes on in his head. He's he's crazy. Um, you need that though, right? Don't we need a little bit some crazy in the team? And, yeah, and I think you need somebody that that supports the man bun or probably wears <laughs> eyeliner in his free time. You know, it's not like Suarez is just out and out crazy. Costa has is in a similar mold, like violently crazy. Right. But Firmino is just like gothic hipster. Doesn't really give a shit, right? But is hyper aware type crazy. And and so I think I think 
the way that Firmino's craziness kind of feeds into his his talent is he he's never flustered because or yeah. you know he's never he never feels spotlight on him clearly because if he felt the spotlight on him he'd have a different haircut he wouldn't dress the way he does <laughs> he wouldn't do the random celebrations that he does like if he felt any type of you know eyes on him or pressure um he wouldn't do that so um so yeah he just when he receives the ball in in positions uh where other people might uh snatch at the chance or you know kind of get a little uh kind of see it as difficult he especially for that first goal he he receives, yeah, he receives the ball and just he immediately sees you know the momentum is carrying everyone to the far post so i'll just i'll hit it near post and and he just you know calmly slots it in and and obviously um you know clinicality i guess you could call it like clinical finishing has always <laughs> been has been a problem for liverpool for you know like forever um Since, yeah 13 14 really the only season yeah that we did it well maybe the second half at times of last season yeah and but yeah that first goal though was was my favorite out of out of the four just because Sturridge tracks back to intercept the ball right which is amazing because he's getting you know the thing that people knock him about is uh, not all the time but it's his pressing and maybe his work rate and all that which we've talked about before we won't get into but he wins wins the ball back just kicks it right back to Minule what Minule spreads it out to Lucas Lucas gives it to Milner, and then in all of these are like probably 20, 30 yard passes or more. Right. So just the range of passing that they displayed, and then Firmino's movement in the box was was incredible. So yeah. that was that was my favorite goal. Yeah, that's. I mean, that one was was fantastic, and uh, and so I think I think sometimes people kind of take Roberto Firmino uh, for granted, and and obviously there's some stuff there's some stuff that he does where you kind of you kind of think like ah uh, like was that the right decision um should he have passed should he have shot whatever but uh i think the bottom line with him is he's he's one of those guys who's he i mean he's a crazy he's a mad scientist he's a genius uh yeah he's just you know he's got all these ideas um and and sometimes they come off and sometimes they don't but uh but i think having a player like him in the team especially with guys like mane and Sturridge around and Coutinho, you know, around oh, him. Yeah. I it 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 allows him to be a little nuts because um, he's got so many people around him who who can kind of anticipate <laughs> that craziness yeah. and kind of and and get you need, involved. You need in that. It. You need that balance, though, too. And I think Firmino and credit to you. Probably even not long after this point last year, Firmino had a slow start to Liverpool. Probably just. Well, he was just stuck probably too far out on the wing and not given a little bit more freedom. Right. But uh, you called it right away. Is after a, a few performances, you said, here's here's the guy that can kind of pick up the the Suarez mold uh, that we had lost whenever he got shipped out to Barcelona. Um, and I think Firmino is going to be... Sturridge is by far... Uh, I don't think there's any doubt like our most talented player. You could say the best has been Mane so far. Sturridge is 
is probably has the most quality. Yeah. But I think Firmino's right up there with Sturridge. Yeah. Um, and I think he can prove to be more consistent and in a role that's that's going to be more impactful, where he's going to create, but he's also going to score. Right. Uh, and Leicester, Leicester's one example of that. Arsenal's an example of that. Right. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him not just be, you know, our player of the year, but Premier League player of the year. And uh, the last thing I'll say about Firmino is the touch that he took. And I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this. There was a ball lofted high into the air in the box, um, in in Leicester's box. And mm. it it fell out of the sky at high speed, and Bobby took a touch and killed it, killed the ball right on his toe. Um, yeah. Incredible first touch. Uh, something the, you would have seen. The same player. Something something you would have <laughs> seen. Same player that Twitter. <laughs> It was it was it was that Ronaldinho moment, but yeah. you know he's Brazilian, so he probably has that in him at some point. Yeah. But yeah, Twitter. I mean, he's always getting just brutalized on Twitter. So yes. there's that touch was a was a second second choice, the the runner up for fuck the fuck haters, the haters. With, yeah. with that touch of the box. I, I mean, and and this was at at the game. Uh, like watching it with with other people who are obviously knowledgeable, know you know know the team. Um, and know the game. Uh, when he took that touch, the place went nuts. Like over a first touch. Oh yeah. Everybody was everybody was freaking out. So um, yeah, really talented player. And and for me, he's he's really fun to watch. Um, even when he's not, you know, as you as you said uh, against Villarreal, when he's um, single handedly, you know, putting Roberto Soldado in the ground um, <laughs> with a turn, but. Um, the last, the last thing I just want to touch on as we, as we kind of put this Leicester game to bed, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because, um, it, it's something that caused so much toxicity at the time. Um, but obviously a player who got a lot of attention in this game on social media was, was one Lucas Leva. Um, but our opinion of, of Lucas, uh, well, I just say our opinion, but in your opinion, was was Lucas the uh, the villain that that kind of everyone portrayed him as? <laughs> if I mean, we just did a better job of scoring goals. We didn't let we didn't let that moment kind of get to us. But it, I I'm I'm going to be harsher on Lucas than I think. Then I think we should be, because he had aside from that, aside from that one moment, he he was incredible filling in. Right. Not just just the range of passing, the ability to mark because Lester Lester was direct and Vardy and and, Mar- and the runs were there for Lester, uh, but we Matip and Lucas did an incredible job of marking and stopping those, and it, it it's not a mistake that Lucas should make, but the reason why I'm so harsh on him is just because we we just can't keep doing that you know we can't keep <laughs> making these mistakes and it, it it's kind of why i was so harsh on skirtle is because you could at at the end of the that game you could have the best performance but if you're it, it's such a detriment to our team whenever we make those mistakes and it's costed us so many points over the past three or four seasons that I just can't pat anybody on the back and say good job 
whenever whenever they fuck up that badly. Um, right. Especially as a midfielder, moving into a role like that, you could fault him for maybe not marking somebody properly or missing a tackle, but taking a bad touch and <laughs> and playing it across playing it across the middle. I, I got to be harsh on Lucas for that. Luckily, the offense was clicking, so it saved him. Right. I think otherwise it'd be a very different discussion if Lester comes back and if Vardy takes that chance and and pulls it back, either it. Two uh, two or to make it three two at the time. I, could, I, think, I can't remember I think which it one it was. A, I think it would have been three two. Um, if three he two, had, yeah. If he had and, that away. and that's it's so it's so much within our mentality. I think we've seen multiple times where people are just overplaying mm-hmm. defensively. Uh, Klein's been Klein's been guilty of it. Uh, Leverin's been guilty of it because I think that's in the back of their head. Like, oh, I've got to go. Uh, I, I think it was the the first goal against Arsenal, or one of them, where Klein's just, you know, oh, let me go mark this guy because we can't give up another goal from a, a, a corner, mm-hmm. and then forgets about the guy tracking in. And it's because we've made so many mistakes. And I think maybe unlike Rodgers, Klopp and his team is just drilling it drilling it into the players, like we can't make mistakes, we can't make mistakes, yeah. that at times they're overplaying. So whenever it does, whenever those just blatant errors happen, it's... It it just I I feel like it crushes the team. Luckily in this case, we were able to have somewhat more of a cushion and then responded a little bit better. But um, right. I just I it's a skirtle effect with me still. I can't give credit to a player that could that does something that potentially costs us points. Right. And uh, so I'll I'll agree with you certainly because I I mean I absolutely um, I I absolutely think that yo. Know, if you eliminate that that Lucas error from that performance, you're looking at a pretty much. I mean, with a couple exceptions, there were a few moments. Um, obviously, the big Vardy chance, and then there was one immediately mm-hmm. after the goal, kind of a looping header that uh, that hit the crossbar. Um, yeah. But all in all, you're looking at you know about as close to a perfect performance. Um, yeah. That as you can get, and Lucas has been good. He's been good, and, billion for center back and that's, too. And that's so. That's the thing that that I'll say is a lot of people pointed to that moment to the to the error, and said like, see, like Lucas shouldn't be playing center back. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that is necessarily justified. Now, do I think that Lucas no. should be the first name on the team sheet when we're when we're you know choosing our back line? <laughs> no. Um, but what I will say is that I don't think this performance I, I don't think this performance hurt Lucas um, at all in terms of no. his ability to fill in at center back. Like you said, he had he had a good performance otherwise. And and I think against um, against Leicester, he actually was a good choice because he actually was able to move into the passing lanes um, and intercept yeah. balls and kind of act almost more like that defensive midfielder in a, in a, in a deeper yeah. role. Um, That's a great point. Where he kind of stepped up to intercept rather than sitting back and, you know, letting someone receive the ball and then trying to, to take it off him or trying to drive him wide um, like a center back normally would. Um, he was stepping into passing lanes and, and kind of taking risks, uh, calculated risks, I'd say. Um yeah. And and taking those opportunities to to intercept balls in the passing lanes, um, so I think overall he read the game well. He like 
he made good decisions, um, and it and it was you know it was one error where everyone points to and says, "See, Lucas, like why Shouldn't the fuck is he playing?" Yeah. And and that's just I I don't think that's justified. Now I was terrified yeah. when Lucas was announced <laughs> as a starter, um, but it's because you think like the pace the pace of Lester hitting hitting on the counter or right. hitting those direct balls to Vardy in space. The space was there, but Lucas, you're right. Lucas did a phenomenal job of that. So I won't, I won't give him too much credit just because yeah. of the error. But I'm also not going to let that error stop me from saying, I'd, I'd still go with Leverin. Uh, I think Leverin will be if he's fit and healthy. He'll be the, he'll be the center back there. But yeah. I wouldn't have any problem with Lucas yeah. filling in at center back again, not just for the Chelsea game, but for any game going forward. Right. Which, which leads us kind of kind of directly into Chelsea. Um, so it's it's a little odd for us. I guess, yeah, we normally record in the middle of the week sometime, uh, but we're not normally record. If we're recording in the middle of the week, we're not normally recording on the, the, eve. On the eve of a game. Um, and uh, sure enough, with the, you know, Sky Sports new, uh, new avenue to bring football into your homes every freaking day of the week um <laughs> the uh friday night football they're really going full nfl on them. They, yeah they are um and uh is there football tonight am i missed do i need to set my lineup <laughs> thursday night no, football. Uh, no premier league but there was there was europa league there were some some cracking games in the europa league uh, um, i love for for being somebody that's not partial to the, i mean obviously if united's playing i'm gonna root like hell against him but the europa league always produces better matches oh than the they're fantastic League. there was a there was a game because they don't give a shit the, tonight there was a game zenit st petersburg versus maccabee tel aviv where tel aviv was leading three nothing with 15 minutes to go in the game and zenit won four to three <laughs> four goals in the last 15 minutes is Hulk still playing for Zenit, or is he in China? Uh, he went to China. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, the, but anyway, we got—we're uh, not in the Europa League. No, for, which is why I, we're I was about to say for better or worse, <laughs> and it's just—it's it, just better. Yeah, not having to worry about that competition. Mm-hmm. Props to uh, was it Feyenoord that played United? Uh, yeah, Feyenoord with uh, Dirk Kout, the legend. Um, Playing against God United, true red, true red. That that is a is a top red. If it, that shows you, if just not to drag Skirtle back through the mud, but when you talk about <laughs> top reds, when you're talking about Dirk Kout and Martin Skirtle, you cannot put them in the same in the same. Oh category. my god! Oh my god! Um, they both had a, a, a similar similar length of or similar spell. Right at Anfield, but very, but you know, kite actually provided meeting. Very different contributions. Yeah. Now the only one, if you want to compare center backs and talk about true reds, you've got Daniel Agger <sighs> as our most recent true red. Yeah. Y N W A tattooed red. on his fucking knuckles. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm still sad that we got. Rid of, I, he should have just. He should have stayed forever and then just become a a, a coach under under Klopp. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been beautiful. I still hold that against Brendan. Um, but at the time, though, at the not to go down memory lane, but at the time, nobody was that beaten up about it because yeah. I think we saw that Agger lost a step. Sure, but he was also injured all the time. 
Skirtle was coming off of a, a decent season. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think it was probably the right choice, but looking back on it now, it's, you definitely want to keep back. Yeah. Um, so the one thing that we want to talk about, I guess, in the lead-in to Chelsea is um, this week uh, Jeannie Vinaldum was getting asked some questions um, in the build-up to the Chelsea match uh, about his goal scoring and, and how he you yeah. know, obviously he hasn't, he hasn't opened his account yet uh, for Liverpool. So do you think, one, do you think this question would be getting asked of any other midfielder, like central mid, um, the, uh, in the league this early in the season? Uh, and then, two, is, is it something that should, we should be worried about? I don't think so. We both discussed fairly early on that we knew when Alden was probably be in a more defensive, not necessarily defensive, but more of a centralized, withdrawn role than he had been at Newcastle, where he was normally playing playing as a forward or playing out on the left wing, I think. So we knew that he would come in and have a little bit of a different role. And we're also talking about the, the current Premier League assist leader, well, tied with 10 other players, uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum. <laughs> but that's going to be his ultimate contribution this season, yeah. I think, is... Uh, his ability to rack up assists. But we do need him to score goals, too. So he was a relatively big-money signing. Uh, like, what was it, 23 pounds, something like that? 23 yeah, just the 23. Just the 23. Mm-hmm. Um, Not too bad. Uh, yeah, I think, I think know, it was child in that. play in these days. Yeah, it was in that range. He. Uh, but no, I think, it's, I think it's okay. He's had He's had plenty of, you know, after four games... He's had time to get on the score sheet. He's had a few chances. I, it looked like he was going to get it versus Leicester. Uh, it, it didn't quite come off. He had a couple chances over it. But uh, but no, it's, it, Chelsea's not necessarily the team you want to go up against to break to break the duck. But uh, I think a lot of a lot of the performance versus Chelsea is going to fall on him because I think what we're going to see is Henderson be a little bit more withdrawn to provide some cover and some help on Costa. Yeah, who's been an absolute beast so far this season. Well, so that's going to mean, yeah, <laughs> in terms of hurting hurting other human <laughs> beings and putting the ball in the back of the net, he's doing both fairly well. Yeah. But Wijnaldum's going to have to be the one that, that steps up and almost provides like a link between Henderson and then he'll step in between the Lalana Firmino Mane role. So he's definitely going to have to do a good job of providing that distribution in the centralized role, but also getting forward, because I think we're going to see Hendo and probably even the fullbacks, um, especially Klein, I'd imagine, as Hazard's lining up on the left wing, and Costa's there as well. Uh, I think they're definitely going to have their hands full. And and I think Henderson's going to be one of the ones to drop back and help them. So Wijnaldum's going to have to take up definitely a centralized role. Right. But uh, if he can get on the score sheet versus Chelsea, that would be be a hell of a way to kick it off yeah absolutely and and another so um we we talked about a little bit i think um phil coutinho coming back from from international duty with brazil uh he got he got a break uh at the beginning 
of the game against Leicester got on for for the last uh, the last little bit of the game um, as uh, you know we just tried to to kill things off um, yeah and as as Coutinho came on um, I know I noticed and and a few other people in the bar noticed uh, that he was really eager to shoot um which we 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 know this about we know this about um about phil um but it was in stark contrast to the kind of flowing passing game that had been played um up to that point uh where he was he was very direct uh with his you know the the classic uh cut on to the right uh you know from left to right uh, and try to shoot that curler into the into the top right corner, um, a move that obviously you know if we're familiar with it, then then Premier League defenses <laughs> are are certainly familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and although they can't always stop it, uh, in this case it it looked particularly impotent uh, next to yeah. you know a free flowing passing attack. So. Are we going to see the the passing Phil Coutinho um, anytime soon, or are we are we doomed to to watch him uh, just lob in long range shots? Uh, Tee off un- from, from distance until they until one well, here's, sticks home. Here's a question for you: Are we going to see Phil Coutinho in the eleven for Liverpool at all versus Chelsea tomorrow? Um, it, it's certainly certainly an interesting uh an interesting question i think um <laughs> so i think one thing that we one thing that we've talked about uh, a number of times on the, on this particular program is uh the idea that we both would love to see Coutinho uh in a deeper role um because he's kind of been employed on the on the left wing, um, in recent years. Uh, but when he first mm-hmm. when he first got started at Liverpool, he played he played in central midfield, um, and he kind of played a, a a playmaker role there. And you almost think you know if he's there, his opportunities to to kind of create those shooting chances for himself are, are a little limited, so he's forced to create uh, chances for others uh, or find others so they can create a shooting chance for him. Um, so I think against a team like Chelsea, uh, Coutinho's long shots start to become a little dangerous just because they're so yeah. good on the counter. Um, mm-hmm. especially with, you know, when you have the likes of William ha- Hazard, um, and then, and then Costa up top, all of them have the ability to exploit, um, that long ball out from the back. So the second that Coutinho shot from the edge of the box is blocked, whoever picks it up is immediately looking to release one of those yeah. three players. And, and it's, and it's blocked a lot. It is, and and it's it's not to take away from Philip Coutinho. Obviously, a brilliantly technical player. Um, he's fantastic on the ball. He has a good range of passing, um, and we saw you know a couple times last year his involvement uh, in and around the box, leading to goals. Um, 
for other people. The the one that comes to mind in particular, uh, and I'm not exactly sure why this particular goal comes into play, but it was uh, it was Sturridge's second goal in the home match against Aston Villa. Um, mm-hmm. So he Sturridge had already scored that that wonderful volley. Um, but the second goal was a 1-2 with Coutinho, and I think we see that all... We, we don't see that often enough um, yeah. from, from Coutinho in that he, he, if he gets the ball back from someone, he's not, he's not looking to play another pass. He's looking to shoot. Um, and I think it's kind of, he gets kind of a single-mindedness about him that is, that is a little disappointing because... Um, you would like to see that that little bit of creativity um, that we're starting to see out of the likes of of Firmino and even and you know even in this in this game against Leicester we saw you know um, Sturridge creating uh, creating chances for for other players in particular Mane with that with the back heel and just kind of the general mm-hmm. unselfish play of the of the front line um, and the and the creativity. And so you would just like to see Coutinho join kind of in on that rather than always looking for that opportunity to score the, to score the, you know, the world-class and, you know, stunning curler um, kind of taking more of a mentality that he does with Brazil um, of, all right, like who's in front of me. Um, And I know, you know, in, in that case, he knows he's not, He's not the the focal point, um, and I think he was for a little for kind of a long time uh, with Liverpool, where it was all right. Seventy five minutes are gone. We haven't scored. <laughs> Sturridge is out yet. Coutinho starts so. It was almost like Gerard. Yeah, he took on that that role from Gerard, where it was, <coughs> well, you know, once we got the game was winding down, it was just okay. It's time to start. Time to start teeing off. It's tough to break that mindset. But Coutinho's keeping it like the entire game now, and it's yeah. it, it we're so, we were so much better that game with just the free flowing attack, and Coutinho's really capable of that. He is our most creative player and arguably our best passer mm-hmm. in terms of opening up and unlocking the defense. Is <laughs> that's what he's so good at, right. and that's you know in his first two seasons. That's what he was known for. And then, you know, he came up with some big goals against City and others. Right. And then it just kind of became, okay, this is what I can tee off at any time. Right. And for the type of goals that he scores, you, ha- you have to pick those spots. Yeah. If it's just create a little space and push it out onto your right foot and try to curl it in, I mean, it's, it's never going to happen. Like yeah. you said, it either is going to lead to that counter or it's just going to be easily caught, or it's going to fly out yeah. for a goal kick, yeah. which it normally does. And, uh, yeah, uh, and it, it, it's taken away because we've got Sturridge, we've got Mane, we've got Firmino, all three of which are better finishers. So if right. we can use Coutinho for his creativity, it's going to pay off much better yeah. on us for Antares' score sheets concerned. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think I think a lot of Liverpool fans look at it um, that same way, where they just. They know what he's capable of. Uh, it's just a matter of, of kind of getting him to do it. And uh, he showed it on international duty with Brazil. He assisted Neymar um, in uh, in their last uh, World Cup qualifying match. And, uh, you know, I think if, if he kind of 
sees that you know this is a free flowing attack and this it we're not relying on long shots uh if you have the opportunity mm -hmm. feel free to take it but <coughs> i'd uh i'd much rather see coutinho score um a goal that's a result of a of a good passing move than than him um having to having to score from you know 25 plus yards go for the golosos every time yeah. much rather much rather see him, you know, uh, assisted by by one of by one of our attackers. Um, yeah. Although I, you know, I won't turn down a a screamer from distance. Obviously, <laughs> a Coutinho lay distance. So, I guess with that, where is Coutinho making your starting eleven? Um. So, this is. This is difficult because obviously he's <laughs> he's the player. He's one of our our main players. He you know he can he has the ability to to dictate play. Um, but in this case against against Chelsea, I I think that the team that was so good at breaking down Leicester and that style. I think you almost need to stick stick with that because it's it's not identical to what you'll see uh from from Conte uh and Chelsea but it's it's not that far off. Um No, yeah, it's going to be really close. So <clears throat> I would honestly, you know, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um and and I would have I would have Coutinho probably come off the bench. Um and I mean, obviously, Coutinho is going to play a huge role in this team. There's no, there's no denying his quality. Um, but this is a match where he he has the ability to kind of um, be marginalized uh, if if he doesn't, you know, get involved uh, very early um, in the attack. Now, I I I could see yeah. Klopp going for um, going for the the Arsenal lineup. And taking Sturridge uh, out of the mix, replacing him with Coutinho, oh. and then moving moving Bobby central, Sadio on the right, Phil on the left, Lolano, uh, Genie, and Jordan in the middle, and then uh, our back four of well, I guess you know now our starting left back James Milner, um, and then <laughs> uh, you know Klein on the right, and then as far as the. <coughs> Uh, excuse me. As far as the um, central central defend defending pair, uh, it's gonna be Matip, and then I think if Lovren's healthy, it's it's probably Lovren. Yeah, I think it's gonna be the same that we saw versus Leicester. But for Coutinho, the only I don't think you can mess with that front line as well as they played. Firmino, Sturridge, and Mane. Right. And Coutinho, I mean, he, he grabbed a couple goals early on, but he just hasn't shown, you know, he's kind of been on his own. Yeah. The role that he needs to take, and I don't know if Klopp trusts him, trusts him with this, probably more so he would fit in in Lallana's role. Yeah. But just the form that Lallana's been in, you, you, you don't drop the player at this point. Right. Um, or even Wijnaldum's role, too. Because Coutinho likes to drop back fairly deep in a position that when all of them usually is taking up 
and then use uses dribble, uses ability, create space in his passing range there. Yeah. So I would think that would be the only the only possible substitution to what we saw against Leicester, aside from Lovering coming in for Lucas, right. which was probably what was scheduled to be at Leicester all along. Yeah. Would be Coutinho filling in for Wijnaldum. And and that's and kind of pairing up with Hendo right there. And that's what I I kind of you know I have visions of Coutinho playing that, picking the ball up in central midfield, turning, and seeing Sturridge run in between the center backs and playing that yeah. you know that long through ball, um, just slicing the defense apart uh, like he did uh, you know against. Um, the the fourth goal against Arsenal in in thirteen fourteen uh, is the one that comes to mind where he he picked the ball up in midfield and just played that inch perfect pass through to Sturridge yeah um, from from you know his own half and that that's kind of so I lo- I, I like the idea of him playing in that uh, Wijnaldum position just because it it puts him in that in that area where if mm-hmm. we get the if we win the ball in midfield he immediately is looking at you know three players who are willing to run in behind um in in Sturridge uh Firmino and Mane um and want to get into goal scoring um position so that that would be <coughs> for me that's that's the the way that Coutinho probably gets involved, I just because, yeah, the form Lallana's in is is certainly uh, it's tough to drop him, and I never thought I would say that. <laughs> I know, and that's the only thing that I'm I'm unsure about is matching up with kind of the the size and strength of Chelsea's Chelsea's midfield. Right. If, now they've been a little bit error prone. Not too bad, but they've been, you know, for a team that we thought was going to be outstanding defensively, has given up, I think, a goal a game now. Um, and that would be my only worry. I don't know if, I think Wijnaldum's got, got pace for it, but right. just the thought of a midfield three of Henderson, Coutinho, and Lolana up against what Conte and, and Matic or whoever else that they have right. in that role. So it kind of depends. If we see, like, Fabregas, Oscar trying to take up that midfield then i think we're going to just be just feasting on them yeah. and that would be that would be easy for coutinho to step in but that would be my only concern i think the only possible person who could bring him in for is Ronaldo. right but then it's just a matter of how are we going to match up with um chelsea's kind of size and strength in the midfield with their two yeah the uh i so now that we've got now that we've got the teams, um, we'll go into score predictions, which can get a little dicey. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I, looking at this Chelsea team, obviously you approach this game very carefully because uh, you know of the quality in the side. But I'm not I'm not quite as uh, as intimidated uh, of by this by this Chelsea team as as you would kind of think um, now under new management and kind of looking for a fresh start, they haven't, they haven't really produced uh, maybe to the level that, 
they would expect. And and you know, with Liverpool's attacking options and the way they just played last week, I mean, this yeah. this Chelsea team could be uh, could be a little more scared I of us than what, we are of them. At, at, and right, like who? The only team, because I was thinking Chelsea is going to be the biggest test. But this isn't, even though it's Conte, it's not the Mourinho-Chelsea that that we saw. And they, they've shown that they're a little bit error-prone, but they've also shown that they can score score goals. Like, they're right up there with us. And I think it's going to be a much more kind of offensively-minded game than what we're used to. I think we're going to see more like, it's going to be less Burnley and more Arsenal. Right. Than we saw. Which, I don't know, I think uh, all things being equal right now, I think it may, I think that type of game actually actually does favor us in a weird way. Um, oh, yeah. And only because, obviously, there have been, uh, Chelsea's been, been a little, <coughs> a little error prone uh, so far this season, which obviously helps us out a little bit. Um, so... What are you thinking, score-wise? What are we going to see tomorrow? I think I'm going to go 3-2. That's kind of... I'm going to go 3-2, and I'm going to put it in favor of us. Okay. It's going to be really similar. Really similar, not quite as uh, action-packed as Arsenal match. Sure. But I'm going to go 3-2 to Liverpool. Because I think if they're... Unless they just do a, a complete reversal to the way that they played so far and just sit back and defend... Right. Um, it'll be an entirely different show, but I think there's going to be an early goal will really open it up, especially if it's for us. Right. So if we can strike first, I think it's going to be much more kind of back and forth that we saw, um, maybe similar to Arsenal. Sure. So I'm going to go three, two. Okay. I think Costa and I think William mm-hmm. might score for them. It, it all depends. I think Klein is, is going to have a hell of a game. He hasn't been as good as he was last year so far, but he's been he's still been rock solid. Yeah. But I think if he's matched up with Hazard, he's going to come out with that mindset of marking him, taking him out of the game, and I think he's going to eliminate him. Yeah. Um, unless it's switched, and whoever's whoever's going up against Milner, I think will get a goal. Whether that's William, whether that's Hazard, or who's their other guy, uh, Batshuayi or something like uh, that. Batshuayi. Nietzsche. Yeah. Or if he's up there too, one of them, one of them will bag it. Um, but I think Klein's going to hold his own. I think Milner might struggle a little bit, um, but I got trust in our center backs now too. But uh, as good as Costa been, I can't, I can't see him not scoring. Um, but for us, I'm, I'm going to give it to Firmino. I'm going to give it to Sturridge, and I'll say uh, when Alden gets on the gets on the scoreboard as well. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go th- I'm gonna go three one to Liverpool. Um, I think I think Hazard's gonna score because he scores every fucking time that we play. Yeah, that's regardless true. Regardless of how good they are, whether they suck, <laughs> whether he is having a terrible season, he always scores. So um, so I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give their goal to him. But um, I think. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, Sturridge because he's going to not celebrate against his former team. One of, like, five <laughs> teams that he doesn't celebrate Bullshit. against. Um, 
Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two. I'm gonna say two for for Danny because he's he's due. Ooh. He he's Ooh. he played really well last week, so he built up a bunch of good yeah, karma did. as far as playing well and not scoring. So I think this time he'll he'll get his rewards. <coughs> he'll get two. Uh, and I'll I'll say the hot hand is gonna is gonna continue for Uh-oh. for Sadio. Okay. And uh, he's just gonna keep things he's gonna keep things rolling. No, I, I I'm I'm not to the I'm not comfortable predicting Lana goals yet. That's this is <laughs> thought, a this is a, this is a process. I'm not just diving into the ice bath. You know, like this is this is a gradual <laughs> process. Yeah, kind of like a a slightly cooled off pool that you just kind of have to you dance around a little bit before you can really get in. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so we've got we've got three two for you, three one for me. So we'll see. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about this game. I'm I'm also intrigued because tomorrow we're supposed to get out of work a little bit early, and uh, oh shit, it it that is <coughs> that is deciding my fate right now of whether <laughs> I'll be able to see this game or not. Um, so I'm really, really hoping that that things work out where I can uh, where I can view this match. Although it is, you know, kind of midday uh, on a Friday. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I'm going to be up in. I got an hour hour north to go to get to the school I'm working at tomorrow. So I'm going to be wow. following along on Twitter. Sometimes I even get to the point where I just stream it and have it up on my iPad. Yeah. And just kind of during dull moments I'll just go back to check it right. but um, I'll try to follow along on Twitter as best I can I'm set though I'm missing two in a row now um, I think the boys are going to be at Barmen again they were there last time so even even without me there they still managed to get together they brought the flags they brought the banners all that so I really want to keep that keep that kind of excitement going yeah. for them yeah of course um, but no, I think you know what. I'm, here's what I'm going to call. I'm going to call Sturridge winner, and I'm going to say he celebrates like crazy against Chelsea. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh man, I would. Uh... He would. He he would be. We don't talk about it. It could be even other. If we get any more sponsors, we could do our true red, true red of the week. He would be or, or a top red. <laughs> he would be a top red after that moment. Top top red of the week sponsored by Sher- top red of the Sherwin week. Williams. <laughs> Sponsored by Stella Artois. <laughs> um, so uh, we've got we've got some uh, some kind of statistical talk lined up uh, following our our Chelsea preview. So uh, uh, I think dive. I think I may. Uh, you want to take a quick break before we before we dive into this? Um, uh, yeah, we can do that. I'll just take a quick break and uh, and then we'll get get into some. Uh, Get into some of the stats, some passing some maps. Deep stats going real. Deep. The saber metrics of of soccer. Oof. All right. Hashtag. <laughs> All right. We will be back soon.
some XG and some and some pass maps, which uh, which have kind of come to the fore due to your uh, your little bit of research uh, on on Twitter. I know I'm liking Eleven Tegan Eleven is my new favorite account to follow. The problem with what you refer to as saber metrics and, and baseball or just like deep heavy stats. Sorry, I went back into the the bag of crisps one last time there for more crumbs. But just as I went deep into that bag of crisps, sometimes the stats it's it's tough to really figure figure out the how much kind of weight we should put behind them. Right. Because it's tough to understand a lot of them. And what I like about what they've done with the analytical side of football so far, it's been incredibly visual. And it's it's helpful in, in two in two ways, especially for a Liverpool team that always thinks that we're we're playing better than the points necessarily indicate. Right. Um, but also just from you and I love like tactics and we love positioning, and so the pass maps I think are it gives us something quantifiable that we can look at and and begin to measure, you know who's who's putting in what type of performance and what is the best what's the best 11 that we could put out there right and we can kind of almost just keep track of it game by game um but it's refreshing to see it versus they they provide it for the dutch league german league uh la liga i think as well Mm -hmm. so it just gives you a really good understanding of you know how teams are kind of setting up in terms of their formation right um but also with, uh, I think the biggest focus is on the expected goals. I love the pass maps, yeah. but a lot of the focus has been on the XG, the expected goals, right. and, and trying to predict outcomes as well. Right, so the expected goals is literally exactly what it sounds like as far as taking <laughs> into account um, the number of shots and then also the positions that those shots are taken from and then mm-hmm. using math that I'm not willing to do in public um, <laughs> the they're able to to quantify uh, the amount of goals that a team is expected to score in a game or even across um, the the breadth uh, of a season um, mm-hmm. and in doing it they have it, it, it from what I've seen especially uh, in um the 11, uh, Tegan 11, um, accounts, uh, you know, analysis of, of just the past couple weeks as I've, I've looked through, uh, uh, quite a few games. It, it is, it, it's pretty strange how the expected goals, uh, almost always correlates, um, with a few exceptions, uh, correlates. Yeah almost directly to to the amount of goals a team actually does actually does score um you very rarely see a huge disparity between the expected goals and and then the actual score on the on the scoreboard um and those moments where it is different are those same moments where you would be like well that's football um kind of kind of <laughs> moments uh, of uh, of the upset or a game in which you know the team that maybe didn't perform as well gets a result, um, yeah. but it is a, a almost uncanny uh, predictor of um, 
how a team will perform um, or, you know, how they can be expected to perform um, based on where they're producing their chances. Yeah. I think with the with the emphasis, like, heavily from Barcelona um, and then Munich, now City, with Pep Guardiola, there's always been the big emphasis. It, it's less of a debate like it is in baseball, where, like, what is the important, you know, what's the importance of stats? How much should they factor in right. to how we analyze the game? The debate, I think, in football has really been more focused on possession. Uh, because that's one of the stats that is, is always tracked and we always look at does possession right. equal better football does it equal better results and I think if you and they have they go even deeper than just expected goals but I think if you factor in possession with expected goals I think that's when you really begin to see really quality football as well um, the best kind of example that I could give to describe it is the, the opening versus Arsenal so if you look, you know, if you kind of look at the the timeline that the expected goals has for every game, mm-hmm. Arsenal's awarded a penalty, and it shoots up because that's that's an incredible chance on goal. Right. I think it's worth like point point seven out of one, right? One's basically yeah. the maximum you score a goal, right. and a penalty is like a seventy percent. Think of it chance. almost like it's a seventy percent chance of going in. Right. So it shoots up, even though they don't score. So you've already seen that Arsenal has, has had the better chance, so they're way above Liverpool in terms of who should be winning that match, and rightfully so. Right. And then, what, three minutes later, Walcott scores a goal from, uh, from a little bit from distance from a tough angle, mm-hmm. and they get the goal, but the map doesn't, you know, right. the, the performance doesn't shoot up that much because it wasn't necessarily uh, a, a quality shot. Or, right. I mean, it was a quality shot, but not necessarily a high probability. Right. Not of a, going in, and we can blame Mignolet for that one all we want. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no, I, I I like it because I think it it provides some weight behind not just you know they say possession for the sake of possession, uh, but combining quality of chances like us right. versus Burnley, you know even though we dominated that match with possession, we probably weren't you know it's probably fairly equal right. in terms of what the expected goal outcome looked like. Right. Um, so the other the other thing, as you mentioned before, the other thing that they uh, produce over at eleven T and eleven, and and it's something they do with uh, pretty amazing regularity. I don't know what kind of team they have over there, um, <laughs> but they have they have uh, they produce a an, an XG chart um, and a a pass map for pretty much every major fixture um in in the yeah. big leagues uh across Europe um to include uh the Champions League and Europa League as well and they they kind of take requests as well so you can actually um yeah hit them up in the you know for some of the more obscure games they'll sometimes I I know they did one out of the uh like the Aus- Austrian Bundesliga uh recently you know so they'll they'll analyze uh some more obscure ones too but um the pass map is is something that particularly interests me um because it it's almost like taking um a a formation chart or talking about you know 433 4231 we argued for so long you know 532 Three, five, yeah. two. Um, you know, what's the difference? What, what, um, 
what benefits do each hold? And it kind of cuts through that a little bit, and it and it displays more of a reality uh, rather than rather than just yeah. a shape on a on a piece of paper. Um, mm-hmm. And it shows you you know how a team is playing and and where players are actually uh, you know taking most of their touches and and what the yeah, shape, receiving passes and give, yeah. what that offensive shape you know actually looks like and and so you can see uh, you know I'm looking right now at the at uh, Liverpool's pass map uh, against against Leicester in this last match. So um, one of the one of the striking things uh, about it is it there's there's no surprises. Um, nothing about it is really that shocking. But when you look at it as a whole, it it doesn't look like the formation that we would describe it as. Which you know we might have said that this is a four two three one. Um, but when you look at where people are taking their touch touches, uh, you know, when Liverpool have the ball, really we're playing, you know, with with two at the back and, and <laughs> almost you yeah. know, seven across midfield. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh you know, Sturridge up top. Um so it just shows you know, who and and in this case what they produce, you know, they uh they draw a line for for five passes uh, is a is a thin line, and then every five passes mm-hmm. it gains uh, thickness be- between players. So you start to see like where the major linkages are happening. So you see kind of the regularity with which Liverpool played out of the back, and you also see the amount of times that um, that Milner and Klein were able to to link in uh, with the attackers ahead of them. Um, mm-hmm. Where you know, with Firmino trending left, Mane trending right, Lalana linking play between the left and the right, and then you know, Vinaldum and Henderson deeper, um, and and so it starts to show just more of a reality. And so I, I really enjoy um, seeing this. And and I saw a very the the most fascinating one I saw today um, out of the Champions League uh, was was from yesterday's. Match Real Madrid played uh, played Sporting um, Sporting Lisbon, and uh, the the fascinating part of that was there were a ton of linkages uh, out of Real Madrid's deeper lying players, uh, fullbacks, midfielders, mm-hmm. into uh, Ronaldo, Benzema, and Bale, but there was not one single arrow linking any of the three of them. So none of them yeah. passed the ball more than five times to each other, uh, which is absolutely fascinating to me because obviously one of the things that you look at uh, when you look at a team like Real Madrid is, wow, look at the weapons that they have uh, across yeah. that front that front four, but or the front three, you know, in that case. Um, but it showed how, how dull it how dull it can be when uh, when those players aren't linking together when they're trying to create stuff by themselves and so when you see these kind of linkages uh, with Liverpool in a in a four one you know win at home um, you start to kind of see you know how that creative and exciting attacking play kind of takes shape uh, and 
how easy it is for even world class players to become to become um, kind of ineffective when they're not actually linking in with each other, and it shows how uh, how simple a team like Real Madrid can actually become to defend, and how a team like Liverpool could actually be the you know the sterner test if if no one's playing uh, with each other yeah. and linking in. It's kind of like Coutinho. If you look at the the past map too, you you always want to see like a balance, and the centralized players like Kendo usually take up uh, the biggest space on there, have the most lines between them. Right. Our problem was is that it was just. It, it, I like it because it kind of uh, it it kind of backs up what we were saying, like versus Burnley, where everything was just coming far far left from Coutinho and Milner. Right. That was like the only link up that was there. Um, there was really nothing nothing to Sturridge except between Sturridge and Klein. Um, and then what we saw was versus Leicester, just much more varied kind of distribution. Hendo was still a centralized part, uh, but Lana with, with movement and his link up play uh, definitely kind of helped dictate it a lot more. Yeah. But Sturridge and Firmino, this is this is the thing that maybe the, the past map doesn't always register, is that Sturridge and Firmino and even Mane linked up really well, but you don't see a lot of the a, a lot of the lines or, or, or thick lines between them. Right. Just because it's not just with, with the forward play, and maybe the, that's true for Real Madrid and how they played, mm-hmm. although it didn't look like they performed well no. in their Champions League match. Um, it, it's also based a lot on movement, too. Right. And that's not going to track movement without touching the ball. Um, but you, I mean, it just, it clarifies formation and positioning so well. And the biggest problem versus Burnley is that I think we just tend to think of, you know, more men in the box. That's going to work out well. But if you look at the positioning of Firmino, Sturridge and Lana, they're all basically in the same place. And versus Leicester, everything was was a little bit more spread out. Each player had had their own sort of range of motion that they or space that they occupied, and and that makes more sense from a more well balanced attacking point of view. Because if everybody's just kind of in there and crowded around, then what you know what type of space do you think you're going to have for a, a quality strike partnership or anything like that? Right. And so I think having a, a wider range out from the back and out from the midfield, which we saw versus Leicester is going to create like a more balanced approach than what we saw Burnley, which was just a lot of kind of meaningless passes in there. Right. So I think combining the two, the, the pass map I think is going to show you in terms of positioning uh, where everybody's operating. And then if you work that in with expected goals, um, that's going to tell you a lot about how, what players, you know, what players are linking up well, and which ones do we think we might need to drop, and who's creating chances, and how good actually were we that day? Because we were shit versus Burnley, even if we had eighty percent, eighty percent, eighty percent possession. Um, Leicester, we still controlled it well. You know, I got there eventually, but uh, but yeah, it, you've got to have that quality in there too. And right. I think the glaring difference between the two games was was Mane. Yeah. Um but also the performances of Henderson and Lana as well. Right. And it it's uh it it is something interesting because I think in in football 
more often than in other sports, you have uh, people out there uh, who exist, and and maybe the closest uh, you know American comparison that we can that we can draw on is maybe baseball, um, yeah. where people kind of an old school view of the game is well, you know, it's he's got to pass the eye test. Um, <laughs> he's got to he's got to have that something that you can't really put your finger on and yep. uh when you're identifying players or uh when you're talking about team performances um a lot of people in in football have have talked for a long time about the fact that you know stats don't tell the whole story uh there's you know all kinds of intangibles that you that you can't um you can't quantify and at the end of the day, you know, football is football and the stats only tell, you know, a portion of, of, of the story that's, that's happened. Um, but as you take a look at some of these, at some of these deeper stats, as we, as things become more sophisticated and, um, these systems kind of collect more and more data and we track more and more about a player's performance, um, Mm -hmm. Are we getting to the point where these kind of stats do actually tell uh, the story? Is is this whole idea of you know um, <laughs> passion and belief and uh, character, etc. Are is is that is that are we getting to a point where you know that's not really it's not really all that important because the stats kind of do tell the story. No, because when it comes to predictions, like if you look at how the Premier League was predicted last year, uh, I want to kind of call out a conspiracy theory that I think 11 and 11 might just be Arsenal fans looking for another way to say that they're the best team in the league. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, a team like Arsenal is going to be the one that, that probably typically dominates like predicted outcomes, but also like pass maps and how well they, they, their, their format, like they're built to really display those types of teams that are lined up to, uh, to, to have a smart kind of offensive scheme. And that, that links up well and racks up a lot of passes. Those are going to project more on pass maps, but they're also teams that control possession teams that are more attack minded are also going to have better expected goals. So it's not like, you know, you can be a defensive team and you're going to rack up, all you know all you have to do is create quality chances that that's going to come from a more attacking mindset but what it what it doesn't factor in is that one we could already kind of predict without any stats really just based on our knowledge of the game who's probably going to be top four this year or you know certainly who's going to be around top six um and then if you look at the predictions it'll probably say you know by december or whatever arsenal will probably be oh they've got a 35% chance to win the Premier League. But what the stats don't factor in is that Arsenal shit the bed every <laughs> single season, and then they drop back down just to whatever position they have to be above Tottenham. Right. So it it's a great job to kind of to pull data to try to analyze something going into a match, but it's also if, you, if we're sitting here saying, you know, what's going to be the best formation against Chelsea? It's something we, that we can look to after the fact. Like, this is how we lined up against Leicester versus this is how we lined up against Burnley. 
let's take a look at that at, at the end of Chelsea and try to make those connections as well. Right. So it's it, it's going to do a job of supporting. I think what we what we already know, and I think that's what what, what sabermetrics or deep stats do a good job of is that it it, it just provides clarity right. in the obscurity of you know it passes the eye test or you know that that player has pace but <laughs> what are what are they doing with what are they doing with the ball right. um and it's something that we need too especially with with english pundits that have kind of their favorites and their enemies mm-hmm. and, and focusing on that this is giving us some some ammunition to the hipster world to <laughs> to kind of prove what what we've been saying all along that you know Firmino's better in uh, an 11 than a 10 or Lulana is going to be better in a, a 10 or 8 than he has in a 7 right. so we can actually and, and like I said too I don't think baseball has this going for him with with football it's been very visually friendly and that's what I think the the 11 team 11 has done so well is that they're just providing this visual where you can say oh shit you know they that looks more like a 4-2-3-1 than a 4-3-3 right. or it actually looks like a two seven uh, two or something like that but it's actually you know how we format our kind of four three three so i like it as is just kind of proof that we kind of know what we're talking about (laughs) um but also to 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 you know increase the depth of our knowledge as well um but when it comes to predictions you know, it, it's great. Here are the top teams. Yeah, we kind of already know that. What else is going to happen over the course of a season? Right. And uh, I think <clears throat> looking at expected goals um, for last season, I think Leicester, um, even across uh, the entire season, you know, after the fact, expected goals would still only put them fourth. Um, yeah. So... Obviously, it doesn't tell the whole story, um, but it does. It does. Uh, it does support, especially game to game. Um, it, it it supports uh, results, uh, but it it hasn't it hasn't removed the the human element uh, that that makes football yeah. so interesting, um, and it hasn't yeah. it hasn't removed the uh, the kind of unpredictability. Um, but it, it is an effective tool, I think, and it and it's something where if we if we had looked at things like expected goals uh in twenty ten, eleven, um in in Liverpool's kinda kinda leanest years, I think we would have seen, you know, where we were lacking. Um yeah. and why we weren't because when we were watching it, we were thinking, uh like we're hitting the woodwork all the time and we're not, we're just not, you know, we're not getting the bounces that we need. It's just, things aren't going our way. Like, oh shucks. Um, but I think if we had looked at it from a, from kind of a more analytical standpoint, we probably would have seen, all right, we're not yeah. creating the quality chances, uh, that we, that we really think we are. Um, and we're not, uh, we're not producing, uh, the, those opportunities uh, that would provide us <laughs> the ability uh, to perform better. So, um, and maybe it would have shown us that, you know, like Christian Poulsen isn't good enough to play for Liverpool or something. <laughs> but, um, 
and I haven't seen the uh, the expected goals map. Uh, I saw the pass map versus Burnley, but I'd imagine that Burnley match is something like we would have pointed to, like you said in the years past, and said like you know didn't didn't happen for us. You know the, the football gods were against us, right. and the reality is we're just not creating the the quality of chances that we need. You know right. we we've always looked. We've been playing good football for, I mean, really ever since Rodgers came in, we've been playing good football. Yeah. Um, but how, but kind of how good, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just to get beyond, that's what I think stats help is getting beyond just possession and beginning to look at what does that possession actually mean. Right. And uh, I didn't get a chance to see the expected goals chart for, uh, speaking of Brendan, Celtics uh, drubbing against... <laughs> Barcelona, but uh, I imagine it uh, it's not super flattering. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine it, it it went over too well. Poor Brendan, I I didn't know that it could get worse than the than the Real Madrid uh, match where he. Uh, <laughs> Which one? The one where we got beat beaten soundly, or the one where he fielded his reserve the team? The one where he fielded the reserve right. team. Well, no, yeah, the one, yeah, yeah, the was, one where he got beaten soundly. That was a low. Because wasn't it at Anfield? 3 <laughs> nothing. Yeah. yeah. In a way, at the very best, when he fielded. And it actually... God, I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, we played a, oh, a weekend side. I'm, sure, I'm surprised we weren't fined for that by the champions. <laughs> um, so... Um, so yeah, the, the stats, they don't, they don't necessarily tell the whole story, but they certainly, they certainly tell a good chunk of it. And I, I, I'm glad that there are sites out there like 11 Tegan 11 and, and people who are kind of, uh, taking this angle and, and spreading the, uh, stats around because it, so many ill-formed opinions happen on Twitter, as we know, in all, in all in all walks of life, um, all topics, uh, there are so many ill-formed opinions. And so the, uh, the idea that there are these accounts out there creating some, like, factual and... Just crunching some hardcore data. Yeah, just doing some analysis to the point where we can say, all right, I, I know that you're crazy, um, and here's why. Uh, it just it, it provides a little sanity to the to the proceedings on what is otherwise just a, just a hellscape of, um, of half drunk, um, ridiculous, <laughs> illogical opinions being formed all over the, all over the park. So I'm looking, I found the Barcelona Celtic. I think it's from one of the guys that, that works for 11. Okay. Um, and the expected goals, for versus against um i think typically like it's like anywhere from like one to two Mm -hmm. like total is is what you get that's what i've seen a lot um barcelona had 4.4 wow (laughs) that's their expected goal outcome (laughs) and on the map that they applied to it there are four giant rectangles within the six yard box (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then a lot of others scattered throughout. Um, Celtic, I think, had... Did they have a penalty? They did. Early, no, they could have had a penalty. I think they did. Because it's .02. On. Did they? I think they did early on. 
Um, they didn't. They didn't score. No. That's the only dot that they have. Yeah, they they missed a penalty, I believe. Okay, but yeah, four point four to point oh two. Wow. That is. And it appears as if they dominance. had one twenty-five yard shot. Unbelievable. <laughs> but this, we we talked about poor poor Brendan's trial by not trial by far because he's already crashed and burned in the Champions League. But that that was going to be his his kind of expectation at Celtic right. this year was to do something in the Champions League, and couldn't have gone worse. Yeah, could not have gone no. worse for him. No, to kick off the campaign. I mean, to get drawn against Barcelona is just bad luck. Um, but to go out there yeah. and well, to go out there and lay an egg like that is just it, I I feel that's bad. Something, for, I feel bad for the guy. That's something you don't need. A pass map for it. When it's seven to zero, we we don't need it. We don't need to be beaten down <laughs> anymore. Because I like I like Rogers. Yeah. So you know I like Barcelona. You know Suarez and all that. Mm-hmm. So I I would have liked them to see like you know nab some type of result. And th- that's just brutal. Yeah. That is just. Oh, I feel bad for what is it? Uh, is it the O'Leary? The O'Leary guys? <laughs> yeah, who's O'Leary. the? Uh, yeah, O'Leary's O'Leary's the, pod. Um, so and they were on a high too after the uh, after beating Rangers, right? Yeah. So then they crushed Rangers, and then yeah, and it's uh, it's a half and half pod over there. So they have they have a Rangers <laughs> fan and a Celtic fan, um, which it oh god creates some creates some tension sometimes. But uh, but yeah, they I mean Celtic. I actually I actually watched. Um, I had it up on a on a secondary screen while I was watching some Premier League at the same time. Um, yeah. And, I mean, that was just, that was a drubbing of its own. Um, so, you know, Celtic are, Celtic is, they're going to walk the league. It's it, it's no, I mean, Scotland's not even a challenge for them anymore. Um, especially now, you know, they're back in the, Champions League group stage, which I think that was kind yeah. of an accomplishment for Brendan to even, you know, kind of throw that that uh that kind of demon to make sure they got that in there. demon yeah. off their back and just, you know, uh, get get into the group stage, but I mean to get smashed like that and is just uh, it's never you can never walk away from a 7-0 and you know, you say hold your head up high, but I mean, come on, it's 7-0. No, you you run you run far as away yeah. far as, as far away as you can. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, speaking, speaking of train wrecks, um, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, you know, we're, we, we're pretty deep into, into the, into the pot at this point. So I'm, I'm not going to commit too much to this, but, um, the, the bottom line. So I, I talked a lot about the whole Nashville, um, soccer situation on on Twitter, um, I guess last week and and this week, uh, and I I've followed this from from the very beginning um, because obviously um, Nashville FC started up in 2013 as a uh, as a fan owned. Well, the idea was for it to be to be fan owned. Um, because the guy, the guy who started it up, this guy Chris Chris Jones, saw a video about FC United of Manchester, 
and uh, and was really taken with the idea of, of you know fan ownership and the idea that uh, you know normal normal people could have could have a soccer team um, yeah. just kind of in their community. So so we picked it up, ran with it, um, created created this you know this team that got a lot of it got a lot of attention um, in its in its early stages uh, operating in uh, the NPSL, which is considered fourth tier. I mean, I don't know how you can like determine the tiers when they don't <laughs> they don't they interact. Don't really so like it's yeah. just so they're in the the National Premier Soccer League. Um, and, uh, you know, so amateur levels of, of American soccer, um, and they, they did respectably well for a couple of years. And, and recently they got the attention of a, uh, of an investment group in Nashville, this, uh, this group called D- DMD soccer, um, Ooh. who basically were looking to acquire the, um, they were looking to bring a team to Nashville um, at a higher level, kind of, kind of looking to do what um, the that ownership group in El Paso is looking to do: join USL with a you know with a yeah. with a view to MLS in the future. Um, yeah. And so the idea was, you know, DMD looked looked at it and thought, well, I mean. Nashville FC already exists and has already gotten a lot of press and gotten a lot of attention, uh, built a decent following. Um, so why don't we just buy that? Um, because it'll be, you know, essentially cheap marketing um, because we won't have to build a brand, you know, of our own. Or, yeah, doing it from scratch. Or compete. <laughs> with them, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, and and be the big bad wolf to to Nashville FC. So the whole idea was they're gonna buy this brand and 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 move forward and bring them up to USL. And so the uh, so the fan owners, which like to be totally honest and just get this out of the way, like um, none of the none of the people who paid in ever owned anything um just to be clear about that they they were um they crowdfunded the team more or less it was like oh okay you pay a membership fee you get stuff in return like you get season ticket like you can almost like saying you've joined the official liverpool supporters club exactly like you know you pay you pay something but you don't actually own anything right. aside from maybe a sticker and a t-shirt right. you get stuff in return but you you know it's not like you own shares or it's not like you're a member of a of a supporters trust that owns shares in the yeah. team you're just paying it was direct from the team and you paid like a membership fee and got stuff um so it's so it was never really fan ownership but they but they voted um for dmd to to take over, long story short, a couple, I guess last week, uh, DMD, after an initial announcement between the, between the two that uh, they had reached an agreement, um, it turned out they 
they never had uh, reached an agreement. And uh, <laughs> after some issues uh, that DMD said that they identified with the intellectual property, they decided to change the name, change the logo, um, but still move forward with the um, the kind of plan. So the one thing that, that really caught me and, and struck me um, was um, because they, they didn't end up paying any money because they never bought the brand. Um, but on the new, the new crest for Nashville Soccer Club, um, as, a, as opposed to Nashville Football Club, um, I don't know how that... Like, I get that it's different, and I know, like, I guess intellectual property-wise, it's not, you know, it's not, it's different enough to, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, it's like Vanilla Ice um, and David Bowie. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, it's different enough. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's so proximate, um, I'm not really sure how that counts, but you know, I'm no lawyer. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So that on their new crest, it, it says it has the Roman numerals for 2013, um, which obviously it's, it's three years. It, it's not that big a history or anything like that. Um, but I found it really strange that a team that is, you know, now kind of separating itself, um, from Nashville FC is, is, still trying to to cling to that little bit of of history that the team has and still trying to hold on yeah. to uh to what they had built um but now they haven't even had to pay the money they haven't had to to you know cuz really that would have been the compensation for transferring the history of of one club and just kind of maintaining that continuity um yeah but you have a situation now where another entity has has kind of adopted the the mantle of well okay it's a different brand but like ultimately what's the difference um <laughs> and so it's it's got it got really uh it got really strange because obviously there's a lot of people on twitter like uh had a, had opinions about it um the most prevailing um, being the fact it's funny talking about them a little bit earlier, but um, <laughs> the guys from O'Leary's pod or this podcast sucks as it's been known on Twitter. <laughs> uh, they they talked about Nashville C uh, a while back when when this story kind of was first coming out, and it was um, the way they talked about it. They basically thought there's no deal in place like. And the valuation of the brand is all wrong. They're like the, one of the guys over there, Scott, very smart dude. Um, but the bottom line is that like there was never a deal in like there was a, maybe an initial agreement in place, but no uh, no real deal in place. And now yeah. we have this situation where this Nashville SC is just kind of trying to still execute the deal um, and keep things the way that. They said they would uh, without actually um, paying the money. Uh, so I think, from a really cynical perspective, and 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 this is just my this is just my take uh, from a from a very cynical perspective, 
is that this small the small team Nashville FC you know amateur uh, get, gets approached by you know this mil- group of of you know rich investors um, who have a legal team like that's how you can kind of start to differentiate is like Nashville FC might have had a lawyer um, this DMD soccer has a legal team who identified intellectual property issues which led to them backing out of the deal um, yeah from my perspective, how easy would it be for me to walk up to whoever and say, oh, my lawyer has like some real issues with this deal. I think we can still do it. I'm just not going to pay you. <laughs> in, in not so what, many words. What, how could you have intellectual property like either a misunderstanding or just from the fact that maybe something else exists out there that would cause them not to profit off of or run into legal problems later on. So then your response is, we'll just change the F to an S and that's, (laughs) that's different enough. So it sounds like the intellectual property rights is what held it up. So this, the, I guess the answer to those, those problems were just to change one letter <laughs> and that's uh and, they, and that and that's new intellectual property right. somehow and they and they changed and they changed the crest a little bit but it basically i mean the bottom line is that um a lot of the people <coughs> a lot of the people who were involved uh with nashville fc uh, from the beginning and, and saw kind of the potential and saw, I think, too, an opportunity to kind of change the dynamic uh, that we have in American sports of, you know, the way that owners treat fans because the bottom line in American sports is that the, the supporter, the fan, uh, is not valued. Um, there is across the board like we talked about um last year uh when the whole Anfield ticket price uh debacle yeah uh broke so when we talked on this show about that we talked about the fact that you know one of the things that make that makes um you know European soccer so different from um from what we do in the in the states is it, you have a lot of clubs uh, who don't gouge their fans for every for every penny and and they take you know their supporters into into consideration when they're making decisions and it's it's interesting because it's it's something that we really don't do in this, in in the United States so um, you know you have yeah. you you have um, you know a multi billion dollar um, nonprofit in the NFL. Um, that uh, <laughs> that still charges despite the amount of money that they make off TV. Kind of like FIFA. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Despite the amount of money they make off TV, despite the amount of of money that they they bring in through all of these revenue streams, you'll still pay, you know, in the hundreds of dollars for a ticket to get into the game. Um, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. And so so in Nashville FC, you see kind of this like opportunity for the dynamic to be different and for, you know, the, the fans to run the show versus, uh, 
you know, a, a select group or, you know, one individual. Um, and, uh, and so with this, with this change and with this DMD soccer, you know, now stomping out essentially um, for little to, to no compensation, stomping out this Nashville SC. So we'll take your name, we'll take your logo. <laughs> we won't pay <laughs> Thanks you for all the hard it. work. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for the brand. Appreciate it. Um, with that, I think it, I think it disenfranchised a lot of the people who started it up because you have this idea that, you know, we can, we can kind of change the conversation in American sports. And then you have the good old fashioned, you know, American, uh, millionaire, um, eliminating the competition. And, uh, so, well, yeah. so it's, a, it's the American way. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a troubling, it's a troubling thing in, in, and it all, at the end of the day, like it all leads back to the, the way that, the way that the, that U.S. soccer is set up because this is the type of predatory stuff um, that owners and investors are going to continue to do to to teams around them um, that they see as competition uh, because they can't compete and just you know earn their way. Uh, to a higher level or anything like that, because where you would have seen, where you may have seen a group like DMD want to buy into uh, a Nashville FC team that was performing particularly well and had an opportunity to maybe move up, um, instead you see this uh, DMD kind of move in and be like, okay, we want, we love everything you're doing, we want it for ourselves. Um, but we don't <laughs> we're gonna, want. We're gonna take. We it. don't want to spend too much money on it. Um, so, it's uh, so it's it's the predatory practices and it's the stuff that you're gonna you're gonna keep well, seeing. It exists in the country because it's all just marketplaces and dollar values. And the <coughs> only way to get the only way to move up is to just not play your way into it or, or take like, oh, here's here's a club that's you know following dresden or whatever you like to do mm-hmm. here's a club that's working hard that's performing its way into the higher leagues right um but i mean you could do that i mean what if what if el paso does it you know el paso had it and they had the chance you know they've got local talent they can move up yep. but then they don't necessarily have the ideal market for mls is that you know they're always going to be locked out of that system yeah so nashville's a is kind of an enticing market and you've got something that exists there well why should we have to develop our own when we can just kind of poach off of what's there and then with that with that type of mindset then it's going to lead to well oh i found a loophole where i can just take everything good that they've done and now i don't even have to pay them for it i can just get it for free right and and so that's that's the upsetting thing i think at the end of the day is it uh you know something that that was built, and and there's even been um, regret expressed uh, by other teams who who played against Nashville because um, Chattanooga um, FC is one of them because the uh, Chattanooga gained a lot of attention because they're they're drawing kind of a ridiculous amount of fans for the size of the town um, for, a, yeah. for a fourth division club. Um, and they've built they've built something pretty pretty cool and organic down there, 
And so, you know, they kind of recognized Nashville as a, as a similar movement in that it was something, mm-hmm. it was something built from the ground up. It was something that belonged to, um, the fans. And in Nashville's case, it, it, you know, they were trying to make it literally belong to the fans. Um, and, uh, so Chattanooga, despite the fact that they're, or they were, uh, rivals, Chattanooga's expressed some regret just because they see that, you know, another organic movement or another, uh, yeah. another, like, something, something real and something, uh, something exciting has now, you know, mm-hmm. just completely fizzled out to the point where it, it Especially doesn't even that exist close, anymore. You're, you're probably thinking, well, you know, that very likely could have been us, but just the fact that we're in Chattanooga and not right. <laughs> and not Nashville allows us to kind of keep the, the entity that we have. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, the, I, I feel like, you know, now, now that we're on season three of the two red gringos, we just, we're just going to continue to run into that wall of like, Hey, <laughs> like more, more, what else is going issues. on in the, like, <laughs> Oh, it all leads so we, back I to wonder it. who we could get that sponsored by. Um, maybe Nashville FC if they're still around. Maybe uh, the Nashville FC. Yeah. Closed system weasel move of the week. <laughs> uh, <coughs> the sad part is you could probably find one per week. Uh, <laughs> um, one of those being uh, Don, old old Dong, um, the soccer Dong. Um, talking this week about losing a youth player from FC Dallas as if it was his player and then realizing that it actually is <laughs> because of single entity. <laughs> um, but he, luckily he escaped to Europe, so everything's good. Um, so speaking of, speaking of unfair systems and, uh, and oh. things when, the, when the, the deck is stacked against you, <laughs> um, we, uh, we have... some people, you know, don't just fold and die. <laughs> like, uh, like, sorry, that might be too soon for Nashville FC. Um, <laughs> uh, it's all good. And, and, and it's actually fake in, in our world, but, right. uh, fantasy, fantasy football, the real fantasy football right? kicked off this week. Yeah. So we've, uh, so we had, um, our, our friends over at, the bar at bar 90 um they uh put together a a fantasy league through an app called taga 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 toga taga we'll go taga t-o-g-g-a um they uh the guys over at taga kind of recognized there's there's really only one way to play fantasy football right now and it's you know the popular um you get a hundred a hundred million in the bank and then you you pay out um you know whoever you want everybody's got the same players everyone's got the same team and you buy out so what tog has done is they've they've made a, a form of the league where uh we do a draft style similar to what you'd see in a in an nfl um fantasy football league and and so you have unique yeah unique teams across the board um and then head-to-head matchups from there <coughs> um so we had our 
fantasy draft on Labor Day, the Monday, the Monday of the Labor Day weekend. Um, yeah. At 4 p.m. Central Time, I think. Wherever I think I was flying, <laughs> or I was somewhere where I, I I couldn't drive. I got I was able to get in, and I broke up the auto draft that was going on. Right. But it, I love it. I let like the the app, the website's good, mm-hmm. and you've got plenty of players to have like a head to head league, head to head league, head to head league. Of how many do we have? Ten teams. Uh, we have eighteen. I think we got a good we got a good number. Um. Yeah, so like, there's plenty. There's plenty of talent in there. Yeah. Um, I didn't get any of it. <laughs> so you would think, all right, you know, I can't make it. Tough luck. Auto draft will take care of me, right? Sometimes people are in better shape when they auto draft than they are actually going through it. So I just want to. So I, I I looked at my team, and I thought to myself, dear God, <laughs> what what auto draft system made this happen? Like, how were players valued? That that is how that is how I somehow assembled this team that I've now called Moyes's dream team. But let me just take you through through the first round picks, so I can just let you know how this all kind of unfolded for me. So first pick, obviously Mesut Ozil um, goes. To, I think top scorer last year or something like that. Ridiculous, right? Yep. Uh, Payet goes next, then Mares, Hazard, Aguero, and you picked Ibrahimovic right before mm-hmm. me. Like, nothing out of the ordinary there, right? Those are the heavy hitters. Right. Now it comes to me. With the seventh pick of the draft, Moyes' dream team, thanks to Autodraft, selects whole defender Curtis Davies <laughs> as my draft pick. Uh, surprisingly, surprisingly, Curtis Davies has been the best player on my team so far. But anyway, we'll keep going. So then Sterling gets drafted. Um, somehow somebody knew Antonio was going to be good, so he went Rooney, Coutinho, uh, De Bruyne, Costa, Sanchez, Walcott, Lamella, Pogba, and then comes me. And right after Pogba, uh, auto draft selects Etienne Capui for me. Who has been? For me. Who has had a storming who start to also, the season? <laughs> who is the second best player on my team? So I don't know if maybe auto auto draft is combining with eleven T and eleven to predict who the top players are. And I'm going to be set this year. Yeah. But if you look at the rest of my team, like you and I just said, I I was desperate to make a trade. I thought because you my to two keeper, but that's that's neither here nor there. I, I, I found there was one that I could just pick up because you had three keepers, and auto-draft meant that I selected a total of zero goalkeepers <laughs> on my team. So last week, despite all this, despite a front line of Negredo and Abel Hernandez, hey, if you... I had the high score in our league. Yeah. On the back of Curtis Davies and his ridiculous performances so far. So, but it was, and I don't know how it was. I mean, it was a, it was a great, it was a great first week, uh, despite the fact that <laughs> that uh, you your team was not looking good uh, from the get go. But so the thing that I really like about about this about this league is um, the 
the stats that are scored are so much deeper than um, than what is scored in, say, you know, FPL or whatever, you know, Fantasy Premier League yeah. on, on the, you know, official Premier League site. Like, in in last week's in last week's match, um, I I didn't realize you know that I didn't really dig that deep into the scoring rules or anything like that, and I had Casper Schmeichel starting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so despite the fact that obviously I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be upset about the fact that that he well, conceded yeah. four goals. I'm not that that deep into the game, um, but he. He, uh, despite the four goals conceded, which was minus eight, his seven saves and his one tackle that he won in the game earned me 15 <laughs> total points. Um, so I came out with seven. Um, it did all right. And, and so when you look at players like, uh, like Mane, like Mane, obviously he gets a goal, so that's, that's nine points. Um, but he made three key passes, which are two points apiece. Um, he had an assist, which is six. Successful dribbles are, are a point. Shots on target count for points. Uh, aerial duels count oh, yeah, for points. Loaded. Tackles, um, effective clearances, um, the amount of minutes he plays, and then dispossessions uh, count for negative. So the, a lot more of, of a player's game is taken into account rather than... Yeah. So Did Martin Skirtle would not Martin Skirtle would not be racking up a lot of fantasy points in this league. <laughs> no. Negative. With the yellow that. cards and the own goals working <laughs> against him. Uh, well I, I looking at my team now, so James Milner was another top pick of mine. Sure. Um and he slotted in as a midfielder. I think he's gonna work out pretty well. Because it's such a good balance of of stats that this league tracks. That I think Milner could be a good player throughout it as well. So absolutely, I think by the end of the season, I'm still going to end up at the bottom just because I had to pick up some one additional striker. But my front lines compared to people who have like Vardy and Costa in the same team is is somewhat ridiculous too. So once the goal tally start starts getting exaggerated, I think uh, my team's going to start to suffer a little bit unless you know Curtis Davies keeps keeps doing what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first round pick, big, uh, big oh. expectations. So. Number number seven, right? You know, some people want Costa, some people want Vardy. I say, no, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go whole city defense as the rock of my team. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, we'll see how things turn out. I've got uh, I've got Wade this week. Um, oh, and it looks like you've got uh, Jeff. I don't know this Jeff character, but he looks like he's got on, an actually legitimate team. On, on Atletico Madrid. <laughs> I mean, that's a solid name that's too. I was a little, I was a little upset. So yeah, his uh, Jeff. If you look at his team, uh, luckily Mata, I don't think is going to do anything. He probably won't be there for long. His forwards are Diego Costa, Danny Vardy, and Inter Valencia. Yeah. That, front line is going up against newly acquired Nolito that I picked up from you yes. for our trade when I offloaded uh, Vinaldum. Vinaldum, which 
Yeah, and I've actually got some midfielders too, and you were a little bit lighter, so I think that's going to work yeah, out for I'm, both of us. I, I was feeling good about that because I've still got, I've still got, uh, as as attackers, I've still got Ibrahimovic, uh, Ahmed Musa, and uh, I've got uh, I've got Batshui on the bench. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be more of, a, more of a player in the in the future for Chelsea. But um, what I do like mm-hmm. about this this game week five, this match week match week five matchup between uh, me and me and Wade is, I'm pretty sure it's it's multiple DJ Khaled references occurring in in one matchup. So <laughs> we've got my team major key alert, which is an obvious DJ Khaled reference. Um, and Wade is, they don't want you to banter. They don't want you to banter. <laughs> Which I really enjoy. Uh, you small. <laughs> I appreciate you. So, and then gotta love it. Chris and I, who did auto draft, I, I, luckily I found out how to change my, my team name because I was still just PP Staley's team there for a while, which is always embarrassing. I'm still seeing it as PP Staley's team, so. What? I'm I'm Moyes' dream team. I mean, I see the picture of a shocked David Moyes, which is, is <laughs> there's there's no other picture of David Moyes. <laughs> I really wanted the one of him wearing headphones. That's my favorite <laughs> Moyes picture. Where he's sitting in some <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he's doing. But I picture him when he's saying the I picture him trying to learn Spanish. In that room with those headphones and failing miserably. Uh, that's one of my favorite press conference moments of all time. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, yes. I'm glad he's back in the Premier League. Yeah, me too, especially since he's going to get fucking relegated. My God, they are just, they are bad. They are so bad. And Everton, Everton was so bad in that first half. I was watching it, and I was like, I can't take any more of this. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Lukaku's pops up with a hat trick yeah. and you know they really moyes the shit out of it but <laughs> they, yeah, they laid a moyes <laughs> they laid a real steamy moyes <laughs> <laughs> oh man I think it I think you can tell it's winding down yeah, when think, you start talking about steamy moyes pretty much uh I think I don't think you can really go anywhere from there. Um, you can only get relegated from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if you uh, if you're still listening, thank you. Um, we appreciate it. Um, if you're listening to this, you're either on our website tworedgringos.com or you're subscribed to us on iTunes, which is awesome. We thank you either way. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at tworedgringos. Uh, you can follow um, more uh, football-related adventures uh, at El Paso Reds and also um, at, uh, at Baki Balboa, my, uh, my personal account. So um, with all that being said, um, we've got the fucking Rent Boys tomorrow. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to sing Fuck Off Chelsea FC in my living room to myself. I, want to be, I don't think it'd be appropriate in the workplace, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't give Chelsea that much shit. 
we were focused today. I think maybe we're, we're, we're just high on ourselves right yeah. now for good reason after that Leicester win. So let's keep it going. Yeah, we're, we're going to keep the, the energy positive and the rent boy tweets will only come out uh, in in either um, moments of moments of pure, pure ecstasy or agony. So <laughs> um, so pretty much either way, Let's tomorrow, someone's someone's getting called a rent boy. So it's all good. <laughs> um, all right, I'm done for that. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, here's hoping here's hoping Liverpool put up a bit another big win. Um, and uh, for the two Red Gringos, I'm Phil Baki and Patrick Staley. Adios. Adios, Mister. <laughs>